Please stand for the reading of God's word. This morning's scripture is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, reading verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. This is God's word. Christian brought his friend to church. Uh a friend who had never been to church before, and he didn't understand uh, what was going on in the service. So uh, when the worship leader went like this, he said, what does that mean? What does that mean? And he says, well, everyone should rise. And then uh, when the worship leader went like this, so what does that mean? What does that mean? He says, everyone should sit down. And when he uh, bows his head, he says, what does that mean? He says, that means we're about to prayer. And the preacher gets up and takes off his mask, and he says, what does that mean? He's, he's about to speak. And then the preacher takes off his watch, and he says, what does that mean? What does that mean? And he said, nothing, absolutely nothing. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of people who actually haven't been to church now, who don't understand uh, what's going on in church, and perhaps would even question why church, why come together and worship and so let's take for a moment to think of what it looks like for someone outside the church, someone who does not have a faith. And when they look at the church, what are they thinking? It could be they see churches spending millions upon millions of dollars for buildings, with budgets spending millions and millions of dollars, with people spending countless hours coming together and singing and praying to someone nobody can even see. And then they, they take a message and, and they, they listen to a message that comes from this antiquated book that was written to two, three thousand years ago. And they wonder, isn't there something better to spend your money on? I mean, we could care for the poor. We do all sorts of better things, couldn't we? Now, are there those who, in other religions who understand a little better why we do what we do? But they would raise the question, yeah, we understand giving that honor to, to God. But Jesus, why Jesus? Uh, God's inclusive. Jesus is divisive. Why worship Jesus? And then there are those who are within the church itself who say, well, it's good to worship if you really like that, but there's much more important things for the church to be doing, like 
caring for the poor, working for social justice, providing for families. Is, is it critical to worship Jesus? Is it worth the money, the time, the investment, and the division? Our passage this morning says, with a resounding voice, yes, it is. Let's pray. Our Father, your word that we read this morning is your voice to us, to all of us, whether we're in this church building this morning or outside of it. Open our hearts, our hearts that are often hardened and resistant to you. Open our hearts through your spirit to help us look at your word as, as it's a mirror. To help us to see as you see as you see Jesus, so that we might be drawn to Him and become worshipers, fully worshipers of Him. Amen. The setting of our passage this morning is, of course, chapter eleven of John. Jesus performed His most astonishing miracle. Lazarus, a friend, had been dead for four days. He'd been buried in a tomb. And Jesus arrives, and he walks to that tomb. He calls out to Lazarus after the stone is taken away, and Lazarus comes out still wrapped as a mummy. Jesus brought Lazarus back after being dead for four days. The response was there. The response uh, was divided. Some believed now in Jesus, but others Others who were critical ran back to the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, and they counseled together. And the high priest at that moment said, This has to stop. We must put Jesus to death because if we don't, it will stir up Rome against us. And it's better for him to die than for the nation to die. And yet, in his voice were the words of God. For God knew well the very mission of Jesus Christ was to come and die, not just for the nation of Israel, but for everyone. And so with this vitriol and this, these plans against Jesus, a number of people wondered, since Jesus had left the area, would Jesus come back for Passover? Everyone comes down for Passover. Every religious person. Would Jesus come back? Would he risk his life? And that's where we pick up the passage this morning in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And we read, Six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they give a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Jesus returned to Bethany two miles outside of Jerusalem because, yes, he was going to return to Jerusalem during Passover. He was going to fulfill God's mission for him, which would also fulfill Caiaphas' desire for him. He comes together with friends, the disciples are there as well, other, other friends. 
In particular, there's Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the, the family of Lazarus. And this dinner is as important as Palm Sunday. And as we look at this dinner, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the priority of worship, the cost of worship, and the motivation for worship. So let's look at the priority of worship. Uh, we continue reading in verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. And she wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. She is worshiping Jesus. Pastor Levering, our, our previous pastor, used to talk about worship as being, as making much of God. And that's what we see in this passage. She is making much of Jesus. And we see it by the fact that she takes this extravagant gift and pours it out on Jesus' feet. We see later in the passage that the value of that ointment was 300 denarii. One denarius was equal to one day's labor of a laborer. 300 was essentially a whole year's wages because they didn't work on Sabbath or holidays. One year's wages taken at one dinner and poured out on Jesus' feet. She was honoring Jesus, making much of him. We see it by her position. She is at Jesus' feet. She is adoring him. She is serving him. And we see it as the result. The fragrance of that perfume fills the air as worship should fill the air around us. She's making much of Jesus. She is worshiping Jesus, but not everyone in the room is excited about what she's doing. So we read verses 4 and 5. But Jesus Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who would betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, the next verse tells us the real motive for Judas. And it says that Judas had the treasury of the disciples. He kept the money of the disciples, and he would pilfer from it. And so let's put as much money into that treasury as we can, because that means more for my own pocket. Yet, as ill-intentioned as Judas was, he has a point. In fact, in a parallel passage in Matthew, it says the disciples raised the same objection. In Mark, it says the bystanders raised the same objection. It's almost as though the only person in the room who got it was the woman, and we're going to see Jesus does as well. But it seems everyone else has that same question, not the same motive, but the same question is Judas. Is it a waste 
to worship Jesus in this way and pour out that which is so valuable that could have been used for something else. Jesus' response surprises many of us. Verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And what he's saying is, yes, I deserve this worship. Do not stop this woman. Is Jesus self-centered? Is he egotistical? Is he uncaring? I mean, the very core and essence of the character of Jesus Christ is humility. He is God. John establishes that time and time again in his book. He is God, yet he put aside his regal robes of glory to step down into our world and took on our humanity. And then he allowed the creature, those he created, to reject him, to mock him, to brutalize him, and to eventually crucify our very creator. All because of his love for us. That's humility. That is self-sacrifice. But is he uncaring for the poor? No. Jesus loves the poor. He encourages us to think about the poor always. In fact, his statement that the poor will always be with you is made because he expects us to always be caring for the poor. That opportunity is always going to be there for us and take advantage of that opportunity. In one of the stories Jesus tells in one of the other Gospels, he talks about a king. It's really him. And he says this, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison? Visit you. And the king answered them, Truly I say to you, as I did it for one of the least of these, as if what you did for the least, one of the least of these, you did for me. That's how much passion Jesus has for the poor. He's saying when you care for the poor, it's caring for me. When you overlook the poor, you are overlooking me. No. Care for the poor is at the top of Jesus's list. It's at the top of his chart. But yet worship is more important. Worship is off the charts. Why? Because we're made to worship. That's where we thrive in life. 
A lot of people miss that. You see, God created us to experience what he has been experiencing from eternity past among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we read John chapter 17, we have a window into the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that's been going on from eternity past. And you see three things in that passage. One, an incredible joy, a perfect joy. And Jesus prays and he speaks that we might have that same joy. And in that relationship that brings him joy are two things. Love. A deep, eternal, self-sacrificial love for each other. And glory. They each glorify, treasure, make the most of each other. He created us to experience the joy he has. And that joy comes when we love him. And most of us understand that. Oh, yes, Christianity has to be about receiving God's love and loving him back. But the second thing is glory. If we are to thrive, we love God, but we also glorify him. We understand his glory of us. He made us in his image. He treasures us. Our worship is an expression of giving him the glory back. And so worship centers our lives. What we worship determines the way we live. Because worship is ultimately value, treasure. The treasures in your life, the treasures you seek, drive the way you live and what you pursue. Worship drives us to the most important thing, God himself. And then it centers our lives and directs our lives. Romans chapter 1 tells us what happens when we don't worship. It says, although they knew God and they did not honor him or give thanks, they didn't worship God. They became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools because they missed what life is really about. Paul goes on and describes a spiral into deeper and deeper sin because they, did, because they didn't do something. They didn't worship. And he ends up talking about how we are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gospel. We're slanderers. And he keeps going on and on and on. And then he says at the end, even though we know these are wrong, we encourage one another into these sins. I look around our society today and I see, I see a great brokenness. I think the major part is because we don't worship God, we don't center our lives around him, we have become our own gods and we think we're wise but we're not because we have our own human limited wisdom rather than grasping it from God because we have worshipped him. 
So we might think, okay, worship is really essential, but why worship Jesus? It is decisive. Why should we worship Jesus? This passage answers that question. The shadow of the cross looms over it. They've just said, if, will Jesus really come back and risk his life? And the answer is yes. He is come to die. When has he come? Six days before Passover. Because he is going to fulfill what Passover does. In Passover, the lamb is slaughtered, the innocent lamb is slaughtered, and the blood is put over the doors. So that when the judgment of God comes, it sees the blood of the lamb and it passes over that household. John the Baptist, in the first chapter in this book, tells his disciples, as he points to Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's Passover. Jesus is coming to be our Passover Lamb. And then Jesus says it explicitly when he says, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for what? The day of my burial. You'll always have the poor with me, but you won't have me forever. This is the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life. It is present, very present in his mind. The aroma of it is filling the air. We worship because Jesus is God, but because of what he has done for us. So we look at Revelation 5, 14 and 15. We read this. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, and all of them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might and forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. They worship God the Father who sits on the throne. And they worship, doesn't say the one who sits at his right hand. Or God the Son. It says they worshiped the Lamb. They were worshiping what Jesus Christ has done for us as the Lamb of God. They've looked at his sacrifice. You know, we may argue here on earth whether we should be worshiping Jesus or just God. Well, we know who they worship in heaven. The Father and the Son, the Lamb of God. Why? Why is the cross so critical? Why is that the height of the glory of Jesus Christ and the height of the glory of the Father? One, because it is the culmination of all of history. Those of you who picked up the booklet about Beauty and the Beast, if you came to the movie last night, you see the story it really unfolds. God created us. He created us in his image. He created us innocent. He placed us in a paradise. But sin alienated us from God, alienated us from each other and our own selves. God sent Jesus 
to take that sin, pay for it, so that he can one day make all things new and begin that new creation in us right now. The apex of that plan of God is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's what holds all of history together. Even as the question is asked, why is the world the way it is? Why is God allowing this? God answers, the cross will make it all right. Also, it is the fullest expression of the, of the glory of God. We look at creation and we can see the glory of God. We can see the power of God. We can see the beauty of God. We can see the wisdom of God. We can see aspects of the love of God. But we don't know the depths of the love of God until we see the sacrifice that he will make for us. We don't see the justice of God until we see the wrath of God poured out upon sin and it falls on Jesus. We don't see the grace of God till we understand that we are free of sin and all that we have done because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We don't see the fullness of the wisdom of God until we see how his justice and his love can come together and both be fully satisfied. It happens at the cross. And worship doesn't preclude care for the poor, working for social justice, providing and caring for your family. No. Worship establishes it. Because when we come together in worship, when you spend time in worship, you are centering your life on God. You are seeing God for who he is. And you are being pulled to value what he values, to treasure what he treasures, to live as he would have us live. And the poor and social justice and the family are deeply in the heart of God. Jesus went to the cross. That should be a priority in our worship. The cost of worship we see in this passage. Worship comes in, in many forms. Here we see it in Mary, worshiping through an act of service, honoring Jesus by anointing his feet, pouring out the expensive ointment, pulling down her hair, wiping his feet dry with her hair. It came at a cost. For her, it was a year's wages. Our worship will be costly. Not always in dollars and cents. It'll be costly because when we put Christ above everything else, everything else diminishes. There will be responses toward us because of what Christ has done in our worship for him. One of my brothers had to give up a life of hedonism once he saw Jesus for who he is. Another brother lost a business partnership because he followed Christ. A Jewish friend of mine lost his family. They turned against him when he became a Christian. 
multitudes of people around the world today are imprisoned or martyred because they worship Jesus. Most of us aren't paying that same cost, but we all pay a cost because worshiping Jesus will reprioritize our lives. And we will be giving up things. We will taking our, it will redirect the way we spend our money. It will redirect the way we take, spend our time. What our heart invests in. Yes, worship is costly. Also, in this passage we see that Mary compromised her reputation. He opened herself up to criticism and gossip because of her worship. It even says, Mark even says, excuse me, Matthew says, the disciples became indignant toward Mary because she was worshiping Jesus like this. See, it was near scandalous for a woman to take her hair down. And here Jesus, Mary has to pull her hair down. She's at his feet. She's poured out all of this ointment upon him and, and on his feet. She's down there. It looks like she's groveling before him. And those around are saying, well, what is she doing? She made a display of herself. Worshiping Jesus may cost you your reputation. People may look at you in a very different way than they look at you right now. Sometimes we hide our Christianity because we feel people are going to judge us when they know, oh, he's a worshiper of Jesus. She's a worshiper of Jesus. Because Christians are seen as narrow, exclusive, mystic, judgmental, sometimes hostile, arrogant, hypocritical. And those labels could well fall upon you. But worship comes with a price, especially worship of Jesus. But Mary was willing to pay the price. In fact, she, it was a joy for her to pour out a year's worth of ointment on the feet of Jesus. It gave her a sense of fulfillment to worship Jesus. What motivated her and brought her to the point that paying this price was a joy and fulfillment? What motivated her? And we see that in this passage at all, as well. Now, the passage doesn't explicitly explain why Mary was moved uh, at this particular moment to honor Jesus. We know she was very close, as her brother and sister were very close to Jesus as well. We know she felt a real special connection to Jesus. But perhaps the biggest clue in her motivation is the timing and the fact that the passage specifically mentions and Lazarus was there. You see, she loved her brother, and she just witnessed her brother die. It tore her heart apart to have lost her brother. And now Jesus shows up. And they're wondering, Jesus, why, why weren't you here earlier? You could have saved him. Jesus walks to the tomb, and Lazarus comes out alive because of what Jesus Christ has done. 
I believe what motivated her was a heart of gratitude that Jesus had brought her brother back to life. A sense of awe of who this is. Jesus could raise a person who'd been dead, for, bring back to life a person who'd been dead for four years. Gratitude and awe moved her. Now, we're not all moved in the same way by Lazarus' death and his resuscitation. But we are moved by Jesus' death and his resurrection. You know, in Luke chapter 7, we see a similar portrait. There's a woman, but she's a prostitute. And Jesus is at a dinner, and she falls down before Jesus. She's at his feet. She's pouring out a valuable ointment upon him, anointing his head with this. She's weeping. She, her tears streak his feet, wash his feet clean. She takes down her beautiful hair. She embarrasses herself by wiping his feet. And in that picture, we have all aspects of worship. We have service. We have love. We have emotional connection. We have a woman's life being transformed. We have a, a testimony for Jesus Christ. We see it all. And so Jesus talks to the, the Pharisee who had the dinner. And the Pharisee doesn't get it. He's judging Jesus. Why do you let this woman touch my feet? And Jesus gives a parable that teaches a lesson. And it says, she who is forgiven much loves much. You see, Jesus wants our worship, our service, our giving, our songs coming not from a heart of duty, but a heart of love. And she had that heart of love, but why did she have that heart of love? It says, one who is forgiven much, loves much. You see, we see like uh, the Christian life like an egg. We see the outer shell. And that's all we see. Inside that is the white, and right in the center is the yolk. We see the outer shell. The religious leaders had a beautiful outer shell. Jesus even said, it says, you are like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, full of dead men's bones on the inside. This woman had all the beauty of worship on the outside, and the inside was love. The white of the egg, but the very center of the yoke was Jesus' love for her, his forgiveness of her. What motivated her she didn't even understand the cross yet, but we do. We love much when we're forgiven much. We're forgiven much because Jesus loves us so much. We are forgiven much at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why it is central. Everything flows out of it. That's why we worship Jesus. One author, one of my uh, seminary professors wrote this in a book. Uh, book. So he looked at the cross. He said, his brow, which had only wrinkled in concern for others, now dripped blood from thorns. His eyes of purity and compassion now looked upon inhuman men who mocked him. His hands, which had reached to help and comfort, had nails pierced through them. 
His feet, which had walked hundreds of miles with the message of the kingdom, were now nailed, nailed to the wood. And finally, the heart, which was more open and vulnerable than any other could ever have been, was now pierced through with a spear. That's what Jesus did for us. That's the physical suffering. The spiritual suffering was even greater because he took the wrath of God. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And yet, the Lord, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus paid the price and gave out the cry, Why, oh God, God have you forsaken me? It's because your sin was on him, mine was. It is a waste to worship Jesus if Jesus wasted his life. But if Jesus didn't waste his life, if what he did was bring us life in his death, if his resurrection was the stamp of the approval of God the Father, then we should join the angelic realm in heaven, the choruses that are praising in this way. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Yes, it is worth it. It is worth everything to fall at the feet of Jesus. Our Father, keep these truths close to our hearts. Keep Christ at the very center of our worship and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.